Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. A Thursday edition starts right now. The Sports Bash is live. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. What's up, everybody? Hope you're enjoying your day. Got some interesting news to kind of start off the show today. You know, Alshon Jeffrey was like public enemy number one, and now all of a sudden people are like, yeah, Alshon's practicing. And uh, I don't know if that means he's going to play this week. Adam Kaplan, who has been all over the Alshon Jeffrey stuff going back to August, saying that, you know, there was a chance he could play in September. Well, we're in the, you know, final week of the month of September for football games. Could we see Alshon Jeffrey back on the field on Sunday? We shall see Adam Kaplan football at four today. Uh, we got a lot to dive into, but that Alshon Jeffrey stuff, I guess, is interesting considering yesterday Rieger out with the thumb injury and now Jeffrey back on the field today. They just can't get them all together, but getting Alshon Jeffrey back could be a nice little boost for this offense. How are you? I think that would be tremendous for this football team. I mean, if you lose Jalen Rieger and you got to go out there with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, and Deshaun Jackson and John Hightower. I don't know how isn't that excited I am. Isn't about that, that. Exci- essentially a little bit better than what they won with last year? You know, when they were rolling out Greg Ward, Deontay Burnett, uh, JJ Art. I mean, literally, it's better than what they had last year, and they were finding ways to win. Yes, it was better than what they had last year, but still, I mean, could, could they squeak out a win against the Cincinnati Bengals team? Yeah, maybe, but it's still not good enough. And and I thought about something last night because me and you, we, we went back and forth before about like the whole 12 personnel set thing and like, do they want to run it or do they just run it because that's what they have? And And I'm pretty vocal with you about, I'm not saying Doug Peterson's offense is the worst, most vanilla offense I've ever seen, but I do talk about how maybe I want it to pop more. And I was thinking to myself yesterday after the show, maybe if they do run less 12 personnel set, it allows Doug Peterson to be more creative to my style of liking. Do you think that that's maybe a a way to go down the road? Well, he was in 12 personnel about 80% of the snaps last Sunday. And, I mean, I guess, yeah, there there is something to be said for that. He's trying to get his two two of his best assets on the field. Obviously, Zach Ertz, number one. Dallas Goddard, number two. He wants them on the field as much as possible. So having two tight ends on the field does limit the creativity of you know, of of what the other guys are doing in the offense. Right, exactly. And, look, those are your best so weapons. Do you want it's to, hard to keep those. Do you want to sacrifice those guys? I mean, do you want to get one of those guys off the field more uh, for the opportunity to send John Hightower in motion? I do not. I, I do not. <laughs> Maybe once in a blue moon, but no, not in terms of, like, a long period of time would I like to sacrifice those guys, no. And that's where I think the whole Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard thing we know that Zach Ertz and Howie Roseman are going through this conversation and they're butting heads a bit. I wonder if maybe they're leaning towards getting rid of one of those guys because of something that I just brought up. Maybe they're limited. Maybe they feel they're limited in what Doug Peterson can run because of having such strong tight ends. Well, I mean, it's obvious that the Ertz thing is bubbling. I mean, they're like kind of getting into a little bit of it. The reports a couple of weeks ago that Roseman and, and Ertz were getting into it. I just don't, under, I, I don't see how the Eagles can pay Zach Ertz 
what he is going to command. You know, if you're comparing him to Jason Kelsey, uh, Kittle, and he belongs to be in that conversation, how do you pony up that money with the cap problems you have when you have a bona fide answer on your current roster? It's not like the Phillies letting JT Real Muto walk because they have the next best catcher in the organization, the next hot prospect taking his spot. So you're like, all right, we're not going to pay him because we have a guy already. The Eagles have a guy already there that is proven to say, hey, and I said this before, I think if he was in Ertz's role, he'd probably be able to put up monster numbers as well. And I think we're already seeing that they could utilize Dallas Goddard in a similar way to Ertz and get high production out of him for way less cost and sprinkle that, you know, do you want to sign a second tight end to big money or start spending that money in other directions? I think that's what they're weighing right now. Absolutely. And there was a time where I was in that, hey, look, you got to bring Zach Ertz train. I was on that train of, hey, you got to bring him back. But the more and more I think about this and the more and more I see Dallas Goddard grow, I mean, he had 100 plus yards in game one. 100-plus yards. He is stellar. And people actually bring up the argument that he could be almost better at Zach than Zach Ertz he's in certain definitely, areas of his game. He's definitely more athletic, and I definitely like what he gives you after the catch more than no yak Zach. I mean, Zach Ertz is tremendous. He's got you know good speed for a tight end. He catches the football for the most part, but he gives you Zippo after the catch. Goddard I think gives you a little bit more after the catch. He's definitely a better blocker than Ertz is. And really, look, it's a great luxury to have both to have two tight ends, both of which are receiving tight ends. But if you just told me, hey, Ertz is gone and Goddard's left, and then you bring in a blocking guy or a you know a secondary tight end, I don't think this team is gonna have this huge drop off because Dallas Goddard has replaced Zach Ertz in the offense. So that's where I think the Eagles are in a really here. And another thing is, too, both of these guys, Ertz specifically first, second-round pick. He's one of your guys. You want to see your guy. You like to keep your guys that you drafted. But drafting Goddard in the second round as well makes that more difficult. Would you also say, though, that you would need to upgrade maybe the wide receiver position if you're going to lose one of those tight ends? In your 12 well, personnel I think, sets? I think, dude, you're hoping, and you talked about this yesterday a little bit, is like you missed on a J.J. Ortega-Whiteside potentially, so you had to draft a guy in the first round the next year. You're hoping that you hit on Rieger. I don't know that you're hoping that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in year number two all of a sudden shows, hey, I'm I'm good. You're hoping, though, that Rieger can play, maybe John Hightower can play, maybe Deontay Burnett gets a shot and he shows that he can play so that – you know, you don't have to do that. Right. No, uh, look, uh, but that's a that's a that's an ask, isn't it? I mean, that's a big ask. Hey, Burnett, can you play for us? Can you really play for us? And look, Greg Ward, he can play for us. But when I say we need to upgrade the receivers, if you're going to go from 12 personnel to 11 personnel, you need way more than Greg Ward. Nice player that earned his role. But if you're going to hope Burnett turns into something, it's got to be something way more significant than what Greg Ward is. And Greg Ward has earned a well, nice role. Okay, I'm not. And, and look. Go look at, you know, the Baltimore Ravens wide receiving core. Are you, like, you know, salivating over the guys? I mean, they got Marquise Brown, Willie Sneed, you know, Boykin. They, no, that's they, a good point. I'm not I'm not one of those. I, I like that you brought this up because I'm not one of those, you need a Julio Jones, you need an Antonio Brown. I think that's a waste of the cap because right, they get well, paid so much look money. At Atlanta, look at Atlanta right now. Julio Jones, 
tremendous. Maybe one of the best receivers in football. They went and drafted Calvin Ridley in the first round, and he's having a great start of the year. They have Russell Gage, who's been one of the best, you know, number three guys in the league. The team's 0-2. You know, you go to the Kansas City Chiefs, by the way, and I don't know. I mean, they have Tyreek Hill, who they got late in the draft. Sammy Watkins, who was a first-round pick. He's okay. I mean, he's nothing special. Uh, Hardman is a guy they got later on in the draft. They just found guys later on in the draft that have worked for them. And that's what I'm talking about with the Eagles. Do they need to put all this money into wide receiver if they don't sign Ertz? No, I think they need to start putting that money there into other areas, like maybe replacing guys on the offensive line, maybe finding guys at linebacker, you know, instead of just constantly bringing in the guy from the minimum and playing linebacker and using that money that you're would you're going to have to spend I mean what was the uh, I don't remember Jason Kelsey's contract I'm sure um but you're going to have to tra- uh, Travis Kelsey not Jason Kelsey he got a contract that was let's see um when did he sign that deal pretty sure it was this summer right he got it this summer and I mean whatever Kelsey's contract was or Kittle in that range that's what Zach Ertz is going to command. You have to decide whether or not you want to spend that money on just one tight end or spread that around. You definitely have to spread it around. But on to the, the receivers. Uh, you are right. You don't need the big-time splash guy. I just need more of an upgrade than, say, Hightower, Jay Jaw, and Greg Ward to make. You won a Super Bowl with Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith. I mean, you need something like that that's a little bit more serviceable well, and, than what you have, but, but it doesn't have to splash. We don't know that these guys aren't. I mean, John Hightower might turn into a Torrey Smith. Um, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, he was drafted to be like an Alshon Jeffrey. So far... Boom, Bupkis hasn't worked out. Now, back in the day, you know, back in my day, wide receivers, you know, you didn't expect anything from those guys until like year number three. When you drafted a rookie wide receiver, it was like, ah, you're not getting anything from that guy until the third year. And then like Randy Moss went and blew that out of the water. And then all of a sudden, rookie receivers came into the league and they all, you know, a lot of them. But is it something to say that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is just not in the right role? And I, Look, I'm not sticking up for J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. He might as well be Brandon Workman for, all I, for, for me right now. But I'm just saying, maybe his role is Alshon Jeffrey's role, and he hasn't been able to really been put in that role yet. I don't know. I don't know if I can go to that spot. Well, if he's not put in, the, in that role yet, does that mean that's on Doug Peterson? Um, well, I mean, it's like last year, the problem that they, they said that he, first off, they, you know, he was hurt last year. He had injury problems and then they didn't cross train him. He didn't know all the positions. So they were only training him at one position. And then when he was at boom, whatever, whatever it is. And we were, the guy went to Stanford. You're telling me he's not smart enough to figure out like if he's playing the X to Y to Z, I mean, come on. And now this year, I don't know what role is he really in? I, I just know. think he stinks, Gil. He I, I honestly do. He could. I'm not saying, look, again, I'm not backing the kid. I'm just saying, to go back to the point of spending money on that position, if you're not spending it on Ertz, the hope is you don't have to spend money on that position because you have a second-round pick. You now have a first-round pick. And then, like these other teams that I just mentioned, you brought in a high tower, and maybe he turns into a tour, you know, where, where you don't pay those guys a lot of money, but they become, you know, they have a role, and they're productive, and then you can spend that money, you know, where you really want to. You know, you're going to need a new center. You, Jason Kelsey's not going to play forever, and you're going to need a new left tackle. Jason Peters is not going to play forever, and if Dillard comes back, you don't know what you're going to get from him. Okay, then fine, then you're going to probably at some point need 
a left guard because, say, Amala, let's say he's the next center. All right, maybe they slide him over to center, which means then you're going to need a guard. So you're going to have to spend money somewhere on the interior of that I line. I believe Herbig played guard, uh, played center as well, if I remember correctly. Well, and maybe Herbig's the next left guard, and Sayamala becomes the center. They seem to like Herbig a lot. He's going to start. It looked like yesterday they flipped him from right guard to left guard, and now they have Pryor playing right guard. So another you know change on the offensive front. Third week third different offensive line that you're going to see. So maybe, like, you know, we're talking about spending money. Well, you got Herbig. Maybe he's a guy they like, and they don't have to spend a lot of money on Herbig. So that now frees up more money. Like, this Jason, this um, Zach Ertz decision, I know it's kind of like off the beaten path here a little bit, but it's a big decision for the future building of this roster. By the way, Travis Kelsey got a four-year $57 million deal. All right? That's a huge amount of money put into one player at a position that you're already pretty good at without Zach Ertz. What was George Kittle's, though? Because I think his was heftier, and I think the problem is Zach Ertz was looking more towards George Kittle. George Kittle was five years, $75 million, and Tracy Kelsey was four years, fifty-seven. I think that there's – we can ask Adam this, Adam Kaplan at Football at Four today, because I know he's pretty big on this scenario. I think, if I remember correctly, that Ertz is trying to get more Kittle, and the Eagles want to go more Kelsey. Well, Kittle's $15 million a year. Kelsey's fourteen point two. Uh Hunter Henry is ten point six. Austin Hooper's ten point five. Kyle Rudolph is nine. Gronkowski is nine. And Zach Ertz is eight and a half. So, right now, he is, uh, what, like the seventh highest paid tight end in the league. Yeah, he's probably going to want to get somewhere between Kittle and Kelsey. So Kittle's at $15 million a year. Kelsey's at $14 million a year. The years and the amount for Kittle's is bigger than Kelsey's, but the average salary, he's going to want to be making somewhere probably between 14 and $15 million a year. And look, you're asking me today the way I'm watching this team and trying to progress down the road, I don't see any way the Eagles – come to terms with that deal. I just don't see that happening. And I think and I, I think he them, and I think Ertz knows it and that's why he's frustrated. I agree. And I think I support that move though. Like think about what you're going down right now when you're talking about, oh well what's going to happen at center? What's going to happen with this offensive line? You might need a new left tackle. What is Andre Dillard? Can JJ Ortega Whiteside work? You don't have a linebacker. You know what I mean? Like all of these things we're talking about, those are major issues, and there's a lot of them. It's not one. There's not one hole to fill. There's a lot of holes to fill. So with that amount of money, if you can attack maybe, let's just say, two, three of them, that's huge. I support the logic of, of moving on from Ertz. I do. I, I don't know how you can't. I mean, really, I don't see how anybody can say, hey, let's give him $15 million bucks when you had Dallas Goddard here already. That That just seems to be... A luxury, and this team is not in the luxury business right now. They're a 500 team or two games over 500, four games over 500 the last two years, nine and seven, nine and seven. Um, you can't, you can't put 15 million dollars into a luxury. You know what I mean? Can't. Well, isn't that sort of like just to fire back at you a little bit? The Hertz thing was a luxury thing. No, yeah, but you're not paying him. I knew you were going to say that, but you're not paying you're not paying him the same money. The reason they did that is because they value the backup quarterback position and had put so much money in the backup quarterback position, they wanted to keep that backup quarterback position 
at a high level, but they didn't want to keep spending the money that they but were it's spending. The flip, it's the flip-flop. So because you don't spend money on the backup quarterback, like if you spend money on the backup quarterback, you can use that pick, and that salary would be super cheap at a position, let's say linebacker, that's someone who can actually play and it would just be the opposite. So the money argument with Jalen Hurts never really sat well with me. I don't agree with that at all because now you're not paying your backup quarterback any money. You're, if you don't end up paying the tight end, now you have all that money that you were paying the tight end and the backup quarterback to now divert to other areas. No, but do you understand what I'm saying? If you pick a linebacker in the second round and he's on, he's barely getting paid anything, that means you have money now to spend on your backup quarterback and then if you want to go down your road, it's Hertz isn't getting paid any money. Then you go spend and use that money on, say, a position of need in the on the field. Well, it's just and, and we're just assuming that they're going to use this money to possibly finally go and, and get a linebacker. Well, it could be at it's many positions. I mean, to this point, it doesn't look like Jalen Mills is a great safety. We, there's plenty of time for us to figure out, but I would say that they need to fix well, right, that. I, I was going to say, the areas where you would take this you know, newfound money potentially would be, all right, Brandon Graham's going to start getting older. We're going to have to get a defensive end. Derek Barnett, I think the jury's out on him. Even if he was Reggie White, he can't stay healthy enough. And by the way, he's not Reggie White. So Derek Barnett, we got to get an upgrade there. So I would think money's got to be invested in that defensive end position. The linebacker spot, they've got to find someone to play that spot to pay a little bit of money to to be the guy there. And then you're right. I think Rodney McLeod, Jalen Mills, you got to put some money into that safety position and start saying, all right, you know, McLeod is just a good player. He's not great. Mills, jury's out still. He might be better by the year. Uh, so then, why can we support the luxury pick when it comes to Jalen Hurts? Why can we support that? But after, like, first off, we're naming all these problems over the recent years of poor drafting, yet we're going to support the Jalen Hurts thing and make it seem like that's some genius after they miss on all these picks over the recent years. It just doesn't add up. Something's not adding up to me when it comes to, you know, we talk about all these missed opportunities in the recent. You know, we can go back and say Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, and all these other good picks. Goddard's a good pick. Sanders is. But there's way too many misses. Yeah, we're going to act like Jalen Hurts was like an automatic hit just because we like the luxuriness of it. It's just a weird situation that I can't No, support. I mean, I don't think anybody is banging the gong to say that, man, they've done a great job with Jalen Hurts over through two games. He's got zero impact so far. Nothing. Been completely a disappointment. Can't bat. You can't. You can't sit here and back that after two games. But if you're backing it, if you're making a decision on it after two games, well, then that's the problem. No, 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 no. You're, you're right. But I just look at everything that we are talking about today, which are major problems with this team. There's a lot of problems. But what it comes and down for to, this though, organization to go down that road, it's like there's so many more important issues than that one. They're important with to this team. They're important to you. You don't value the backup quarterback spot as much as they do. That's that's the disconnect. Well, guess they what? value them. That's a flawed mindset. Then if you think we can have a poor roster, but we have a good backup quarterback, we're good to go. Uh, well, Shame I mean, on them. it's flawed to say that if they took someone else in that spot, that all their problems would be fixed. You're right, because they're bad at drafting. But I'm going to take you, your big percentage guy, Hector Neris over Workman. I'll take my percentage on a chance to get someone who can make more of an impact every day than the backup quarterback position. Well, again, it goes to the disconnect of you do not value the backup quarterback spot. Well, I, I have do. a problem with valuing the backup quarterback over positions that well, are played this, every this, single day. 
day. Okay, this is like you yesterday to me. That's fine, but that's the way that it is. It's okay. just the way that it is. They value that spot, and that's why they drafted a player in that spot because they value that spot more than you do. You're telling me Here's yesterday, the well, though. they can't pitch a guy for the third inning because that's baseball in 2020. I don't have Th to agree with it. I haven't seen any other team do that. The Green Bay Packers did it. They took the guy in the first round. They okay, but they're not using him. They're they are okay. That's fine then. That means the <laughs> Eagles are looking for Jalen Hurts to be the future. That's different then. That's them picking their franchise guy for the future and Jalen Hurts. Different story. But I'm so he's a gadget guy. If they think Jalen Hurts well, is he, the guy and their both. next franchise guy like Aaron Rodgers did to Favre, then fine, I'll support it. Well, he but can, I don't think that's he, the mentality they went with. He can be both. I mean, he can be the guy that they view to be the quarterback in 2022 while also getting something from him in the years leading up from that because he has that ability to give you more than just standing there holding a clipboard. Okay, but fine. You, you have the one team in Taysom Hill, but that's two teams out of 30-something when baseball yesterday is what baseball is in 2020 from all teams. Well, and by the way, the Baltimore Ravens did it a couple of years ago. They had Joe Flacco. They drafted a quarterback with the 32nd pick. Joe okay, well, then that tells me then Carson Wentz isn't the guy, and that's their message then. That's fine. That's different, though, than if he's just a gadget player. That's different. Well, if I don't, he's the franchise guy, then fine. It changes the right, scenario. Again, he can be both. I mean, for the you, he can be both things for the first year of his deal. He obviously is not the quarterback. Maybe even next year he's not the quarterback. I think the Eagles are trying to evaluate whether or not Carson Wentz is their guy or is it time to move on. They've found some value in this player saying, look, we can utilize – what he brings in other areas for while we're evaluating Wentz, while also saying, and if Wentz isn't our guy, we really like the possibility of this guy potentially being the guy. You can have okay, it. You, he just, can be both. Okay, I just disagree with it, and I think that you got to build your roster first before you go down that road. With after you, like it just doesn't add up. So you pay Carson Wentz all this money. The timeline of it doesn't make sense. Like logically, fine. If you don't think Carson Wentz is the guy, you go out and find a Jalen Hurts, and you go, hey, this is my backup plan. Fine. It's actually smart for them to go down the road and think about the future more than other teams. But I can't, like the timeline of it. Well, doesn't really I would say this, to too. It. I would say this. The contract that Wentz has is kind of a friendly contract now when you look at the rest of the league. What has Howie Roseman proven to have done in the past or the Eagles organization? I don't know if you want to give it to Howie Roseman the credit. They traded Donovan McNabb away. They traded Kevin Cobb away. They traded A.J. Feely away. They traded Nick Foles away. They are not afraid to trade their quarterback if they traded Sam Bradford away. They are not afraid to trade their quarterback away if they feel there's another guy on that roster that's ready to take his spot. Because, let me be honest, Kevin Cobb was not ready to take the spot from McNabb, but they found a time and a comfortable spot to say, hey, it's time to move on. Let's get rid of him. They put Cobb in there. He wasn't the right guy, but they did it with plenty of guys that they've traded with time left on their contract because they signed him to a deal that the other side would say, I feel comfortable getting Carson Wentz at that deal. Reasonable point you brought up, but I'm just going to say when I look at this front office right now and what they have showed me over the last three seasons or so since that Super Bowl run, I can't trust them.
And I'm basing this off of statistics and facts of them continuing to make wrong mistakes in the draft. You can't win in this league if you constantly, constantly, constantly keep missing out on picks. And they continue to do that over the last three-year window. And that is a major problem. So I just don't have trust in whatever philosophy this organization is going down since the Super Bowl because they have failed in many moments since then. I would, so I'm just basing I'm this agreeing, off of them failing. I'm agreeing with that. I will say this. In the draft, they have not done well. They also, okay, this is just playing the other side real quick because I agree, they have not done great in the draft. They've also only had the least amount of picks the last two years because they gave up so much to get Wentz. But they still had high picks and and good enough. They had enough picks for that not to work with me. That doesn't fly with me. They had enough. They've had I, enough. I said they had they have not done well in the draft. I, I think I was very clear on that. But they also had the least amount of opportunities to get, get guys. Now, they might say, we got Miles Sanders. You like him? I think running back is the most... Uh, Doesn't matter. We have we got a player that. Got a player that plays for us and is a, a very... So, we took in five guys. Years. We got five guys in the draft, and, and we got one guy that we hit on. If you, if yeah, most people no, say, if most people say, no. if you hit on two or three guys in the draft, you did really well. You, that's you, in you a seven-round draft. That. You can't support what they've done in the draft. I'm not. I'm just telling you, if you took five guys, most people will say, in a seven-round draft, if two or three guys end up helping your team out, you've done a good job. Well, in a five-person draft, if one guy comes out, I guess that would be a good job. You that's don't have where to context like it. Matters. You don't have to like it. Well, that's what context matters. That's you. Somehow you're trying to find a way to support their drafting over the last three years. I don't. No, 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 no. You're like putting words in my mouth. You're putting words in my mouth. I well, have you, said you right there said one out of five means they did a good job. That's not from me. That's from NFL people. We'll say if you do in a seven round draft. Don't get mad at me. It's not coming from me. I don't have I'm to not agree mad with at it. you. I'm saying in a seven round draft. People will say, if you found two or three guys in a seven-round draft, you did a good job. Well, if you only got five-round draft, you can't say if you hit two or three in a five-round draft. You, you have to say, if I got five picks, you got to hit on one. And the Eagles would say, we did that. Well, they're wrong to say that because they haven't done a good enough job. All right, on the other side, Derek Sellers is the president of the West Jersey Football League. High school football, they're going to try to play. What have the challenges been is there some hurdles? We'll ask the president of the West Jersey Football League coming up next here on the Sports Bash. Off-season. By no means are we a finished product. What off-season? It's Fush with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. And the Sports Bash today is brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call for convenient locations to serve you online. GMSLaw.com. It's uh, high school football coming up. It's uh, scheduled to kick off next Friday for most of the schools. There are some challenges and things that have gone into it. Derek Sellers is the president of the West Jersey Football League. I think they put together about 15 different schedules. They think they have it finally put together. What are the challenges of playing high school football during COVID-19 for all these schools? Uh, crowd control, the game procedures, what will happen with the playoffs and everything. Let's find out more now with Derek Sellers. He's the president of the West Jersey Football League, where most of the schools uh, in the listening area reside and play. And Derek, we appreciate you jumping on board. How are you, man? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, I think it's a very interesting topic. Everybody was wondering what's going on with high school football. You know, obviously we would have been well into the season by now, but now the kickoffs will start next Friday night. Uh, where do we stand with that? What are some of the challenges still to getting this off the ground? Okay, actually, some there are going to be some scrimmages uh, today and tomorrow. They're going to start the scrimmages. And so next week will be games. And the challenge is, like right now, we just had uh, Washington Township had a they had to shut down for two weeks. So we got to shut them down. So, you know, we're just trying to scramble around and make sure that we can have games for everybody. So it's just been one thing after another. So I'm pretty sure as soon as I get off with you, something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned, all right, Washington Township, they have to shut down. Is there a exact procedure in place uh, should a team call you and say, Derek, you know, it's Wednesday, we're supposed to play Friday night, and we have a couple of guys, we, we can't do it? Yeah, if we can uh, get them another game, we'll definitely try to. And if we can't, then they just have to, you know, they have to just make it up later in the season or we we'll have to try to be creative with what we're doing. Uh, crowd control. Let's get uh, what's going on there because the people listening are probably wondering, hey, can I go to the game this year? There has been, uh, I saw something that 500 spectators. Is that yeah. across the board? Is it by district? Is it by school? What is the crowd control issue? Okay, the governor has stated 500 people, so every school can only have 500. What most schools are doing is uh, they're giving two tickets per kid on the team. So you give your two tickets to whoever you want to, and only you know two people can get in the game per student. So it's not going to be a lot of big crowds. And you know, just trying to regulate that is just going to be – uh, some schools, it depends on the individual school, so everybody should call the schools and find out what's going on. Right. Some of the schools have already announced, right, some of the schools have already announced right. they're not even dealing with it. They're just going to go with right. no fans, correct? Right, there you go. So we have some schools have no fans. Some schools, you know, like my school, happened. I'm giving two tickets to every kid on the team. I'm giving two tickets, you know, 200 tickets to the visitors. That's it. We're not collecting any money. You walk up, it's a bucket, you put your ticket in the bucket. Got it. Yeah, I, I've seen some. I've seen some, Derek. I guess where the home team is maybe taking sixty percent of the tickets and they're giving forty percent to the other side. Yeah, we do in like uh, like we do for the home basketball playoffs. Sixty percent for the home team, forty percent for the other. But you know, three hundred tickets for me, two hundred for them. So right. you know, it's just a matter of us getting the stuff in and doing what we need to do. That's all. So well, it's just. You know, like I told you, it's always changing. So I'll tell you what, call me back in 10 minutes. I promise you. <laughs> Game <laughs> procedures. What is uh, some of the procedures that might be different now with this year as opposed to years past? Okay, so now with, with each kid has to have their own water bottle when they're on the sidelines. So the kids are going to have to – it's going to look weird. The kids are going to time out. They're going to actually have to leave the field to go get their bottle. And uh, the refs are going to allow that. Um, there's only going to be one captain for the coin toss for each team. Uh, at the end of the game, there won't be any shaking hands. You know, they kind of just go to their hash mark and wave, and then everybody go their separate ways. Uh, no locker rooms, so both teams will probably be staying outside at some point for most of the game. They'll just all be outside. So, uh, you know, just – and the, the sideline is going to be from the 10 to the 10. It's usually from 25 to 25. Right. But this year it's going to be 10 to 10 just for the social distancing. But it's going to be funny with some of the smaller teams, like when they spread out like that, it's going to look like it's a lot of guys, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and I know some of the coaches might like being all the way down to the 10, right? Uh, well, they, they just put out, the NGSIA just put out a, there's only to be one coach is only going to be allowed to go to the 10 to, you know, to be the get back coach to keep the kids back yeah. off of that line. So, uh, not the head coach, but like an assistant can go down there and, you know, keep the kids back. Yeah. You know how it is like at a football game, like all of the kids group to wherever the ball is, you know? So. Now, you said call you back in 10 minutes and things might change. A lot of people are talking about the end of the year, the playoffs, and uh, how it was supposed to be, and then how it morphed into. I've seen other states are now kind of Delaware, Pennsylvania, who had some yeah. challenges. They are now playing <laughs> playoffs. Well, New Jersey looked like they were playing playoffs, yeah. and then they kind of backed <laughs> off of it. So is that also fluid? Ah, oh, they just made <laughs> Delaware and Pennsylvania are making us look so bad right now. But well, the, the premise behind not having the playoffs was we didn't know if you play in six games to determine the playoffs, what if, like Washington Township, what if they miss the first game and then they go 5-0? and Like, do you put them in or do you, you know, like right. if, you only, if you only play three games or four games, do you still get in the playoffs? You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's, it was kind of a situation where we didn't know if we would be able to play all of the games. So I think that's what happened when it came down to the playoffs. Is that something that could be revisited, like uh, halfway through the year? We definitely are going to revisit it just by the amount of pressure and feedback that we've gotten. Yeah. So we're definitely going to try to revisit it. Well, where does it, I, where does it stand now? Because there is some sort of postseason. It, it's not, you know, hey, the group four playoffs like uh, traditionally, but isn't there some sort of like after Thanksgiving, a, a something going on? Right. So it'll be before Thanksgiving. Uh, I think it's either – I think it's the 7th and the 14th or the 14th and the 21st off the top of my head. I uh-huh. can't remember. But uh, what it is is we're going to take four teams. So let's say we pick four teams. We pick any four teams and we put them in a pod. And they every team, that's why we got to wait and see who's going to sign up to play the two games. Right. Because if you sign up for the two games, you get the two games. I'll use mainland because, you know, uh, if mainland says they want to play the two games, then – if they go in the first week and play the uh, the pod and they lose, they have to play the second week. So, they, like, so you could put four teams together. Mm-hmm. The two winners would play, and then the two losers would play. Gotcha. But we have to find out how many teams are going to apply to want to play the two games. Right, and then you're going to try to set them up geographically. Yeah, like geographically, and like we're going to try to mix up some of the groups and maybe some teams that probably don't really play a lot. We're going to try to get try to have some really good games because if you look at it. Uh, Last year, if we did the rankings, Pensgrove was actually the number one team in all of South Jersey. But, you know, a, a group one team can't take the pounding of playing all those big schools all the time. So, you know, in a two-game playoff, it might work. Yeah. You never know. But we just don't want to have a group one playing a group five. That's the only thing we don't want to do. All right. Derek Sellers is the president of the West Jersey Football League. How many different times have, had, have you had to put this schedule together? <laughs> You know, when we started, we started, we started with like schedule point one, and then you know one point oh, and then two point oh, and I think we're probably on like thirty or forty. Because actually, to be honest with you, right before I got on the phone with you, we have to make another change. So we had an issue with two schools, and we had to make another change. So I'm getting ready to as soon as wow. I get off the phone. 
I got a call. We're going to make a change, and I'll get the information out to everybody. Is so there, if they go on their Twitter, they'll get me on there, too. So. Yeah. Is there any protocol for testing, or is this one of the reasons why it's so up in the air? Because every school maybe doesn't test, or is, it requ- is there a requirement to test? No. Well, see, like I said, the issue we're going to have is we're not like the NFL. Right. Where they have the daily testing, and even like the Big Ten. They got the monitors and all of that. But we have to rely on we have to rely on our uh, teams and people to make sure that the kids are tested and screened. Every school, every kid gets screened every day. So you get screened and you get a questionnaire that you have to fill out every day. So we've been doing that. Okay. So I mean, we've been doing our part. Like every athletic trainer, all of the, the ads, everybody, we all been doing it. Like we screening every day to check on the kids. But as far as testing. We probably should be doing a little bit more, but I just think uh, financially we just wouldn't have the uh, we wouldn't have an, enough funds or resources mm-hmm. to be able to do the testing every day. I might be able to help you with that. All right, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, Derek yeah, okay, Sellers, yeah, I, I know you know some people. So. <laughs> I actually had this hey, conversation, Mike. Yeah, we're on Twitter, man. Uh, West Jersey Football League is on Twitter. Please go on our. Follow us on Twitter. That's what I'm supposed to say. Yep. Okay. And I was going to say, Derek Sellers, he's the president of the West Jersey League. I was going to say, is there a way that people can follow the information and, you know, all that stuff? Okay. Follow Mike. You're the best, man. Derek, appreciate it, man. All All right. right. Uh, He is uh, Derek Sellers, the president of the West Jersey Football League. There you go. Very trying to get this football off the ground. I know so many people wanted to do it, but look at, I mean, look, you probably got the phone ringing constantly. We can't play. We got problems here. We got things going on there. I don't know. It's funny, though. I literally was just having this conversation about testing for the schools with somebody. And um, I was like, I'm sure they got their own school systems or school districts have their own thing. And I guess they don't. Is it probably something similar to, I could be totally wrong, but remember when we did uh, a live broadcast, we ended up going through one of those those screens where it just takes your temperature kind well, of thing? Well, I mean, now you're at the point where, um, no, to answer your question, like to have the scanner for temperature. Like, here's another, like, just taking your temperature, I think that's more of a mental thing than actually telling you anything. It's just like, okay, I don't have a temperature. But right. there are now rapid testing that are readily exhale of becoming readily available, um, and it's like whether or not you know the right people. Like that's what happened with the Big Ten. They got this rapid testing that they the, they finally felt okay. We feel secure because we can get the. My sister took a test. I don't know, a week or two ago, she didn't get results back for almost six days. I mean, what good wow. was that? I mean, uh, her husband well, couldn't go this, to work. I don't, I don't pay as much attention as maybe I should, but in terms of numbers, like where are we at st- like with this? Uh, I've been, I'll be honest with you. I've been a little distracted from the whole sports world. Well, it's, you know, the fact that sports are back has, right, lessened your intake of all that stuff. Sports is a great distraction. It takes us away from all those things going on. I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent that we're not getting the information that we need. The problem is the information that we're getting is so twisted on both sides, you don't even know if you're getting real information. So you were just kind of existing here right now. And just here's the thing. From when this started in March to where we are now, the information that people behind the scenes that maybe aren't even getting a chance to get their voice out there is so much better. They have so much more information, and I think that's why people feel a little bit more, um, I don't want to say 
Uh, last night, Dave Weinberg used the word squ- uh, swashbuckler. I love that term. You know, like a little ca- more cavalier about the way they're living their lives now because they feel that there's more information out there, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we just got to keep going. Uh, there's no doubt that it's trending in the right direction, right? I mean, come on. It's got to be. 200,000 people would disagree with you. You don't think it's trending in the right direction? I'd say 200,000 people would possibly disagree. That's all. Yeah, I'll, it might be I'll trending in the right direction. I don't. Has anything changed from March to today? Have it's you seen anything question. different? Uh, I mean, we're opening things up. We're all getting right, people that's, inside. That's just more out of, I don't care anymore. <laughs> that's just, I'm throwing my hands up in the air and saying, I've given up. Just go back and do what you're going to do, and whatever happens, happens. It is what it is, man. Brought to you by Recovery Centers of America with drug and alcohol addiction treatment centers located in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and Devon, PA. we got an NFL football game tonight. We have the Five Rewind next. Heat, baby. The Heat. Took the Heat last night. Told you on the yeah, show. Was, Take the Heat. That was, a, that was almost like a no-brainer. They were underdogs. The money line looked good. All those Celtic suckers. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. All right, five rewind, five questions tonight. How'd I do from last night's five questions? It was centered around some NBA hoops. Yeah, the over-under was a tough question. I always find it hard with the over-under because, you know, like, oh, this team's good at defense, this team. No, I mean, it's so hard to really know. When you look at the teams and the matchup, you can get a good vibe. But over-under, that's hard for me to to kind of assess. You went with the under 211.5. It actually went over at 221. Well, I didn't realize Hero was going to be Hero for 30-some points last night. I saw a video of him. Someone actually asked him at an autograph signing to sign a bucket. Because he's a walking bucket. That's funny. I like that. Yeah. That's uh... Tatum. Over Tatum. under 24 and a half. Didn't look good he at the half. Zero. I was laughing at the zero in the first half, and he went off in the second. Yeah, what do you have, 28 in the second half? Yeah. Yeah, he went bonkers yep. in the second half, but not good enough. Uh, not but he went enough. over the number that you gave me. Yes, yes, he did. Heat, plus three and a half, you went. Easy, easy. And I actually what, went money line last I night. I said Heat, they were getting three and a half. I said Heat straight up. Yeah. Yeah, I like the oh, Heat. Yeah. And I gave you Nuggets straight up the night before. By the way. The money line was a no-brainer last night on Miami. Diving into some fills. Yeah. Over, I'm going to miss the fills, by the way. You're going to miss the fills? Yeah, I think I am going to miss the fills. Wow, I'm just shocked. For you to say that. I've watched almost every inning of every game this year, unbelievably. Yeah, it is pretty wild. What happened to you? Love baseball, man. Love baseball. Apparently, I like bad baseball. That is true. <laughs> Apparently, I like bad baseball more than I like just baseball. Uh, I don't know how what it is. much more fun it would be if they were actually winning games. Yeah, they won last night big time. They did. And that's why with the five and a half runs, you went under. They put up 12. Bryce Harper with a broken back ends up hitting two bombs. Yeah, two bombs and got walked three times intentionally. That's a crazy day at the office. So what was the question? Uh, Over, under five and a half runs. That was what was on DraftKings. And you went under and it was over. And I said they would lose. Yes. Mm. You were also wrong. Yeah, I was way wrong. 49 and 41. I was way wrong on them. uh, Eflin was sparkling last night. I don't know what to make of Eflin. 
There's a common theme with his work, though. He keeps his pitch count extremely low. P- complete games are not normal these days, and he, he puts himself in a position all the time. I, I want to bring this up. So that trade was Eflin for Jimmy Rollins, 36-year-old Jimmy Rollins. They got Eflin. That's the kind of trades, you know, and I'll tell you, everybody knocked Ruben Amaro. I was one of them. I was not a huge Amaro fan, and I'll tell you, the, the Cliff Lee trade to Seattle absolutely I thought was the worst trade of all time. And the way that he answered it was, well, we need to restock the farm system. That was awful. So I definitely was a hate to face with Amaro on that deal. But on his way out the door, I got to tell you, I thought he made a lot of good moves when he was like a lame duck on his way out the door. Like the Eflin deal, what they what he got for uh, Hamill. Like when he was getting rid of like Utley and Hamels and all those guys. Like I thought he did a pretty nice job of just like, hey, we're going to give you this guy. I want to get a pitcher back in return. I want to get a pitcher back. He got all these pitchers. Now, a lot of them didn't work out. Nick Pavetta. See your boy Pavetta the other night. Yeah, the thing is, people were getting all crazy about his strikeout. He went five innings and almost touched 100 pitches. That's Vinny V territory of something that he's always had a problem with. It's not like, yes, the strikeouts against the Orioles, it looked like a high number of strikeouts. Now, I didn't watch the game. I just saw the final stat line. But five innings for 100 pitches isn't very good. No, it's not. No, it's not. But he had eight strikeouts, you know. Um, you're right. I, look, the whole – I can't understand. Like, in Babe Ruth baseball for 13-year-olds, they have a, a pitch count limit. You can't throw more than 95 pitches in a game. Twice this summer, I had a kid make the seventh inning under 95 pitches. A 13-year-old kid can throw seven innings under 95 pitches, but freaking Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez can't. Now, either I'm the best pitching coach of all time, or those guys stink. And I would say the former is probably better than the latter.